Amen. God is good. This morning, we are going to continue in our series on Revelation. Revelation part, this is part 19. Part 19, we've been going through chapter by chapter. We have approximately one week left. I'm going to do my very best to fit next week to fit two chapters into one sermon, but I'll do the best I can with that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, last week, we witnessed together the return of the King. Amen? If you were here, the return of the King, the glorious return of Jesus, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. We saw together that Jesus is not returning as a wimp, but He's returning as a warrior. Amen? He's not coming back as a wimp, but He's coming back as a warrior. The image of Christ has frequently been depicted as effeminate. But that is not a true depiction of our Lord and King. So if you've seen pictures of Jesus before, you'll notice a lot of times He looks, he looks feminized. He'll have a halo and, and white and just... Oh, you know. And I understand there's some people who would look at that and say that's sacred and holy, but they've taken away the masculinity of our Lord, and in doing so, they have not shown a true depiction of Him. At the end of chapter 19, we saw that the enemies of God are destroyed. The birds gorge on their flesh. It was a pretty brutal picture. Then the beast and the false prophet are thrown into what is called the lake of fire. But now we are nearing the end of the conflict. Amen? We are about to enter into a new era in Revelation known as the millennium. Say the millennium. Now, I want to ask you to really focus in this morning because we're going to cover quite a lot and we have a limited time to do it. So my goal is to be thorough, but not overwhelming. Amen? Amen. Thorough, but not overwhelming. So let's pray over the message this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to minister this morning, to preach the word this morning. Lord, I pray that I would minister through your Holy Spirit. Lord, that it would not be my thoughts, but yours. Lord, not my intentions or, or my agenda, but Yours. Lord, just as in, in preparing this Word, I prayed the same. Let Your words ring true as we go through Revelation chapter 20. Lord, show us, minister to us, encourage us. We thank You for it, Lord. Convict us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, first question is, what is a millennium? Anybody? 1,000 years. Ding, ding, ding. Gary wins. Give him a prize. 1,000 years. We see it brought up in Revelation chapter 20, and we see it start in verse 1. It says this. Now, remember, a lot of uh, figurative language versus literal language, and we're going to try to figure out which is which, right? Revelation 20, verses 1-6 through 6 says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, say a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released, say released, for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. 
And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Now, uh, remember, we had talked about in the tribulation, there are going to be those who will be beheaded or martyred for Christ, right? It says, uh, and to those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. So that's the image of the beast and the mark of the beast that we talked about. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead, say the rest. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. So if you're a part of the tribulation, and if you are martyred for Christ during the tribulation, you will be ruling with Christ during the millennium. Amen? Then, afterwards, the rest of us. Say the rest of us. So, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death, say the second death, has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. I like, uh, if we go back to verse 1 in the, there you go. It says this, then I saw an angel, say an angel. I like what David Guzik points out, that it's just an angel. We don't see that it's Jesus himself. We don't see that it's God the Father. We see it's just an angel. In fact, there's no indication that it's a powerful angel like Michael or Gabriel, right? There's no indication of that. It's just an angel. It's simply an angel holding a key and a chain who seizes up or captures Satan and bounds him. So remember what I've said throughout this series. Satan is not equal to God. Amen? Satan is not equal to God. He's not the opposite side of the coin. He's not one equal in power, but just evil. He is an ant beneath the shoe of the king. Amen? So we should treat him as such. He is an ant beneath the shoe of a king, and now he is bound by an angel with no name. This angel binds him, and he throws him into a pit and seals him. Say, seals him. This is important because we're going to get into what people think about the millennium in a minute, but here, Scripture says that he seals him there for a thousand years. Now, the question comes up, what is this thousand years? Is this literal or is it figurative? Is this actually a thousand years of time as we understand it? Or is there some other meaning? Has it already happened or is it happening now? Is this what actually happens in the future? And that's the question. These may seem like, I mean, honestly, some people would go, well, the language is pretty clear. Uh, I think we have an understanding that it's in the future. And so it seems strange and ridiculous to ask some of these questions. And I would agree that it is strange and ridiculous for some people to look at these verses and come up with these questions. But in truth, this point has been argued for thousands of years. It's argued, debated about among Christians, theologians. Schools of thought that come into play are mostly put into a few camps. So, some, 20, about 20% of Christianity, of, of those who believe in Jesus Christ, call Him Savior, are genuinely saved, 20% believe that this 1,000 years is figurative and that it has, it has been in the place since the cross. So they would be called, 
or fall into a camp of what is called amillennial. Say amillennial. Most, say most, 60%, believe that what we are seeing here is a literal 1,000 years that happens after the tribulation and the triumphant return of the king. Amen? So, in truth, I have pastors and friends, fellow believers, that would say it's figurative. That would say it's, it's figurative, it's been happening since the cross. They would be called amillennial. Those who believe the 60% would be called premillennial. Then there's some that are called postmillennial. Let's not get into that too much. Uh, it's not really a, a, a huge thing, but or not really a large percentage of the population believes that anyway. But uh, in truth, I have you know friends that believe that it's figurative. And the truth is, I respect them. And I try to understand where they're coming from, but ultimately, I would say they're wrong. Ultimately, I would say, you know, hey, we don't have all the answers, right? How many know we don't have all the answers? In this, I would say that they are probably wrong. Now, with that being said, I'll remind you that because of the way Revelation is written, there's a lot of room for interpretation, right? There's a lot of room for interpretation. So, uh, listen, there's room for interpretation within the Scripture that doesn't affect salvation. Amen? There's some interpretation that affects salvation. You know what? There's some, there's some interpretation that we go, well, come on, I mean, we really want to argue. Some people would argue whether or not Jesus was really born of a virgin. And say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's the tree limb we're all standing on. Right? Don't cut that one off. We're all in trouble. Because the truth is, we see that in Scripture and throughout it. There's other points of interpretation where we go, okay, well, there might be some gray area here, and there might be room for interpretation. There might be arguments or debates over Calvinism versus Arminianism and things like that, things within the Christian camp, right, that don't affect salvation. This would be one of those issues. Is it premillennial? Is it amillennial? There's schools of thought. Most of Christendom believes it is premillennial. So, will there be a literal thousand years? It sure reads that way to me, but it's also an issue that doesn't affect my belief in Jesus. It doesn't affect whether or not he reigns. It doesn't affect whether or not the enemy is defeated. It doesn't affect what, in the end, we win. Amen? How many glad to know in the end we win? Roger, you happy for that? Oh, yeah, right? Roger, Joan, I'm so glad to see you guys. In the end, we win. I would say this. That when it comes to those thousand years, is it something to be argued over? No. Something to be thought about, pondered? Sure. Say, man, Lord, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm excited. When's it all going to happen? Soon. Do we know specifically when? No. But it will be soon. I will say this. That when it comes to those thousand years, biblically speaking, this world will be an entirely different place. If we're looking at biblically, this world is going to be an entirely different place. Keep in mind that even through though multitudes are destroyed during the tribulation, there will still be multitudes of people on the earth. I mean, there's a lot of people destroyed that we see throughout the tribulation, right? We saw all those judgments, Bobby. We saw the three three different sets of judgments. The we saw the the seal, the trumpet, the bowl. We saw all those judgments and all those people that were, that were destroyed, but there will still be multitudes of people on earth. And even while this doesn't affect us now, 
it's worth looking into what life will be like during that time. So I, I'm pulling this from a couple different commentaries, mostly from what's called the Enduring Word Commentary, and it points to just a few things that will happen during the thousand years. How many people have ever, maybe this is just me, how many have ever wondered what it's going to be like? Have you ever read Revelation and you go, man, what's it going to be like? I mean, really, in the thousand years, what is it going to be like? First is this. During the millennium, Israel will be a superpower in the earth. The leading nation and the center of Israel will be the mountain of the Lord's house. In Isaiah 2, 1 through 3, we see that all nations shall flow to Israel. Number two. Isaiah 2 tells us that during the millennium, the citizens of earth will acknowledge and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? How many see that happening right now? Not the majority, right? Christianity, I wonder. One of the most rapidly growing religions in the United States is not Christianity. It's Islam. And you say, well, how could that be? It upsets me too. It's okay. Anna can cry. It's all right. It was good timing. It's good. How could that be? And the question I would have for you is this. Who have you shared Jesus with lately? In your life, in your circle, at your school, at your job, who have you shared Jesus with? Who have you shared your testimony with? In case you want to know how, Wednesday night, 6.30, Evangelism 101 with Tim Thiesfeld. Amen? That's a good plug for that. That, that worked out well because I forgot to announce it before. So it's, it worked out well. But that's the fastest growing religion is Islam because they aren't ashamed of their faith. They're not af afraid of what it might make them look like. They're not afraid of whether or not people will pick on them or ridicule them. They're just sharing what they believe to be true. Are we, do we have the same passion for Jesus? Do we have the same drive to minister to people? During the millennium, the citizens of earth will acknowledge and submit to the lordship of Jesus. Number three, during the millennium, I love this, there will be no more war. None. There will still be conflicts between nations and individuals, but they will be justly and decisively resolved by the Messiah himself, by those who reign with him. Isn't that cool? You got, a, you, you got something going on with your neighbor. You got something going on with the whoever, you know, is up there. And you go, hey, Jesus, come on. And it's interesting because this is, this is what happens. Everybody thinks, a lot of times people think, well, it's a thousand years. Man, it's going to be paradise on earth. Partly. There's going to be a lot of good things happening. But... It isn't the reign of the Messiah himself that will change the heart of man. Citizens on earth will still need to trust Jesus. 
They will still need to trust in His work on their behalf. They will still need to call on Him for personal salvation during the millennium. But war and armed conflict will not be tolerated. Isaiah 2, 1-5. through Number four, in the millennium, this is very interesting. I was talking to Doug about this the other day. The way animals relate to each other and to humans will be transformed. The way that animals relate to each other and to humans will be transformed. A little ch- this is, I like what this commentary says. A little child will be safe and able to lead a wolf or a leopard or a young lion or a bear. Even the danger of predators like cobras and vipers will be gone, is what the Bible shows us. In Genesis 9, 2-3, the Lord gave Noah and all mankind after him, listen to this, the permission to eat meat. So what was life like before that? So the theory, theory, is that in the millennium, we will not eat meat, but we'll all be vegetarians. Now, I can't imagine a heaven without bacon, but it's interesting theory just theory, mind you. Don't all leave here and be like, oh, that Pastor David, he's becoming a vegetarian. I guarantee you I am not. <laughs> right, Doug? <laughs> not evident. No. But listen, it's interesting because at the same time, listen, the Lord put into man the dread of animals. Put into animals the dread of man so that, listen, uh, animals are not effortless prey, right? How many ever hunt? How many know that takes some effort, right, Braxton? It takes some effort, right? Now, in the reign of Messiah, that's reversed. So the relationship with animals is going to be different. It's just the way some people theorize or think about the millennium, about the vegetarian thing. But it is kind of interesting theory, right? Everybody say amen. Everybody say I love bacon. What do you think, Mike? There you go. Be beyond bacon. Amen. Number five, during the millennium, the Bible says clearly in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Hosea, and Jeremiah, King David will have a prominent place. King David will have a prominent place ruling from Israel. Number six, during the millennium, there will be a blessing and security for national Israel. Number seven, the millennium will be a time of purity and devotion to God. Number eight, during the millennium, there will be a rebuilt temple and restore temple service on the earth as a memorial, not as a practice, but as a memorial of God's work in the, in the past. During the millennium, saints in their resurrected state, say resurrected state, so the, the people that, that passed during the tribulation, they're going to be reigning, and they will be given a responsibility for their faithful service. Now, some of these are theory. I like that, but it's theory based in Scripture. And in truth, it seems like if you're here during that thousand years, it's going to be a pretty incredible time. It seems like it's going to be a time of peace. It seems like it's going to be a time of, of, you know, you think about no more war. You can think about animals. You think about walking hand in hand with Mr. Lion. How incredible will that be, right? I'm going to get a ride on a giraffe. It would be phenomenal. We look at that and go, okay, great, but why is this important? Why is it important? I mean, it's cool to think about. It's cool to wonder about. We read about it in Revelation 20, but why is it important now? Number one, the millennium is important because it will demonstrate 
Jesus' victory and worthiness to rule the nations. Say, He is worthy. Number two, the millennium is, is important, and this is a tough one, because it will reveal the depths of man's rebellion in a perfect environment. In a near-perfect environment. It's interesting because there's some people believe that man, deep down, is basically good. How many, I, I mean, I'm not saying raise your hand for this, but maybe you grew up with the thought, yeah, I mean, deep down, I mean, we're humans. We're basically good. And if that's the way that you thought, it's, it, it, it's you know, I used to think that too. Oh, man, I mean, I look, truly, I used to think about like terrorists. And I thought, man, if you could just have a talk with someone that, that wants to kill a bunch of other people, I mean, just connect to them on a human level, right? We're both people. We're both humans, right? We would believe that deep down, I mean, we have a conscience, you know right from wrong. It's, many people believe that man is really innocent and they're only corrupted by a bad environment. So what we would call the nature versus nurture argument. They're only corrupted by a bad environment, right? But the millennium will answer these questions before the great judgment, which does not come until after the millennium. Now, verse 3, or number 3, point number 3. The millennium is important because it will display the eternal depravity of Satan, who continues his evil as soon as he is released from incarceration. As soon as he's you know, a thousand years released, boom, back to evil. The last point here is important, and because now we get into verse 7. So go to verse 7, Revelation chapter 20. It says this. When the thousand years has ended, so now a thousand years ends, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Now, you see the language there in Gog and Magog. Don't get too wrapped up in that. Most, uh, most commentaries say that it is an allusion to previous battle that happens before the tribulation. Okay, so it's just it's Gog and Magog, and it's uh, pointing to some different other battles that happened before, but it's, a, it's saying that uh, it will be like, likened to that battle. But it will be a great battle because the enemy is going to be released from his prison. Now, this verse always confused me. Stacy, all the time. I would read this and go, why in the world? He's captured. He's in chains. Why would you release him? There's a great, uh, there's a great bit by Seinfeld about, about uh, uh, people, uh, people that where we take their picture. We take their picture and then we let them go. So if you have a, a criminal, we, we just, oh, okay, well, why don't we just keep him while he's there? Right? He has hand, he's in handcuffs. You take his picture and he just goes. That's why you get the front side and the left side because the front is his picture and the left is him leaving. Kind of funny. Why in the world are we releasing the enemy? Why is he going to be released in the earth? This used to really bother me. Why on earth, after all the bloodshed, after all the chaos, 
is the enemy released from prison? Why, after a thousand years of mostly peace, do we have to endure another battle? And the truth is, we don't have all the answers in Revelation, right? We don't have all the answers. Nobody does have all the answers. If somebody claims to have all the answers, they are lying to you. I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. I lost my spot and I need to find it again. Why do we have to endure another battle? When Jesus returns, we still have to deal with the issue of sin. This is something a lot of people misunderstand about Revelation. We go through the tribulation. Jesus returns. The return of the king. We went over it last week, right? But that's not the end of sin. That's not the end of sin in the earth or the sin in the hearts of men. And so for a thousand years, they still deal with some conflict, not war. Jesus won't allow war, but there's still some conflict. And then the enemy is released because there is still the issue of sin. David Guzik says this, For all of human history, man has wanted to blame his sinful condition on his environment. Remember that nature versus nurture, what we talked about. Well, of course I came out the way I did. Have you seen the family that I come from? Do you know where I grew up? Do you understand the neighborhood that I grew up in? Do you understand? I didn't grow up on the north side. I grew up on the south side. I grew up myself on the west side, which meant nothing. But we would do this. We'd go, west side. Yeah, we were lame. Well, of course I turned out the way I did. Look at what I've gone through. And that's what people will blame. With the millennial kingdom of Jesus, God will give mankind a thousand years of a near-perfect environment. No Satan, no crime, no violence, no social pathology, no evil to deal with for a thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, man will still rebel against God when given the opportunity. If they have not given themselves to Christ, if they have not asked Jesus into their hearts, man will still turn to rebellion. This will powerfully demonstrate the problem is in us, not in our environment. The problem is in sin. It's in us. What's important to understand here is this. In the thousand-year millennium, people will flourish. Humanity will flourish. People will have children upon children. Life will find a way, right? One minister said it this way, the believers who live through the tribulation will be mortal. They will live and repopulate the earth during the millennial kingdom without taking the devastation of sin into effect or without taking its toll. We can imagine that the population increase during the millennium will be enormous and almost incomprehensible. All those who are born during the millennium will enjoy the benefits and blessings of Christ's reign on the earth, but they will still be born with with a sin nature. And they will still have to freely repent and believe the gospel, personally choosing 
Christ as their Lord and Savior. A lot of times in the Protestant church, we talk about our salvation is not a salvation of works. Well, the fact is, that's not true. Our salvation is absolutely a salvation of works. It was just His and not yours. It's what He did on the cross. It's because of His blood that was shed. Not a salvation based on our works, but based on His. And so during this millennium, during this time, living in virtual paradise, the enemy is released to deceive and tempt and persuade people to follow Him with the goal, a simple goal, overthrow the king. Simple goal, overthrow the king. And so the meeting takes place for war. The meeting, the Bible says they're uh, around the beloved city. That's what we see is Jerusalem. So they're going to surround Jerusalem. And it's there that they will take part in the final battle. Say final battle. But really, it's no battle at all. Verse 9 says this. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Say beloved city. But the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's here we see the final end to the enemy. Say the final end. Amen? I thought about naming this, uh, this message, It's the End of the World as We Know It, and I Feel Fine. I could have said it three times, but I'm not going to. Satan, evil, temptation, all gone. Listen, I mean all gone. Do we understand the power of this? When I think about evil and temptation being gone, I think about friends, close ones, uh, close ones, family who struggle with addiction and evil temptation. I think about those who were just lost because of evil. And now we get to a period in history, in eternity, where there is no more evil, no more sin, no more temptation, no more enemy. A thousand years goes by, he's released, short battle, consumed by fire, thrown in the lake of fire, and now we're done with this Yahoo. Amen? It's the end of evil, and now the king comes to his throne. What happens next is what is called the Great White Throne Judgment. It's a difficult picture. The truth is this. Anytime people are lost in their sin, it is a tragedy. If you as a believer, if it does not affect you, if people pass away in their sin, if there's nothing in your heart or mind that goes, oh man, I wish they knew Jesus. You need to check yourself. 
we have to check our hearts. We, it's too easy to become callous. It's too easy to become unfeeling. It's too easy to not acknowledge that there are people who are passing away that need the Lord Jesus. We tend as Christians, as people, to become callous toward the effect of sin on people. We see those lost by war, poverty, crime, and we don't stop to think about all the people that have the opportunity to accept Christ, but they ultimately denied Him. And in this millennium picture, there is no one who will escape, no one who will escape the righteous judgment of God. It is a tough picture to swallow. It's a tough picture to look at, but we're going to in verse 11. It says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Say, the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged what was written in the books according to what they had done. There are some whose names will be written in the book of life. Amen? That is those who have given their lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is another set of books. And that's what's being opened here. And it says this in verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. One minister said it this way, this is not a trial, this is the sentencing. This is not a trial, this is the sentencing. They have accepted Christ or they have not. Their names are in the book of life or they are not. And now they are judged according to their works because they refused the cross of Christ. The Bible says the sea gave up the dead who were in it. What does that mean? What that means is that nobody, say nobody, nobody will be able to escape or hide from the judgment of God. Verse 14 says this, Then death and Hades, say death and Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Say second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a brutal picture. It's a tough, hey, listen. I mean, if we're going to get down to the nitty gritty here, if we're going to get down to what it is, you either accept him or you don't. You either live for Christ or you don't. And here are the consequences. It's an interesting thing to experience the end of sin. It's an interesting thing here to experience the end of death. But that's what we see in Revelation chapter 20. The judgment at the end is on all those who rejected Christ in their lives. All those, listen, who simply but consciously chose to reject God's gift of salvation. Now, 
next week in the last two chapters of what I'm going to try to get through, we will look at what happens after evil is destroyed. What happens when evil is destroyed, right? It's an interesting thing to look at. But right now, we still live in it. We still live in it. We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with temptation. We struggle with evil. We struggle with rebellion. Millions upon millions upon billions of lives that are simply but consciously refusing Christ. And we live in it, right? My prayer this morning is that if there's anybody that can hear my voice, whether you're here live or watching online or listening over podcast, if there's anybody here that can hear my voice, that for now, you have the opportunity for salvation. Very few people have a defined date of death. Very few people know when death is going to find them. Those on death row, those who have been told by a doctor you have so much time, those who maybe anticipate what may be coming down the line. But very few people have a defined date of when death will find them. And you say, Pastor David, I I don't know about this. Listen, I'm not saying this to scare you or to manipulate you in any way. What I am doing is lovingly warning you that if you are not in right relationship with God, if you have not asked Jesus Christ into your heart, if you have not made Him Lord of your life, you will be lost. And the truth is that today, right now, as you're hearing my voice, you have an opportunity to do that. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know everybody's situation. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what their circumstances are. And I'm not promising that everything in your life is going to be perfect. I'm not promising you won't have struggles. I'm not promising you won't have trials or tribulations. What I am promising is that there will there's somebody who will be with you. Not just that. You know, as Christians, the Bible says that we will suffer. How many as believers have felt suffering? Well, raise your hands. I mean, really, just I felt suffering. And we lean into Jesus. We call upon the grace of God. First, that saved us. And now sustains us. If you are here this morning, if you're listening online, if if you're here and you want to say this prayer, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage everybody here to close your eyes. And if it's you, if, if, if this is you, if this is speaking to you this morning, I want you to repeat after me. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I need and want Your forgiveness. I accept Your death as penalty for my sin. 
And I recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you offer me because of your great love and not because of anything that I've done. Lord, clean me. Lord, make me your child. By faith, I receive you into my heart as the Son of God, as Savior and as Lord of my life. From now on, Lord, help me to live for you, with you in control. In your holy name, amen. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Listen, if you prayed that prayer, if you're here or if you are listening online, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that we love you, that we are so happy for you. Listen, the Bible says that there's rejoicing in heaven over you right now. Amen? How many ever accepted Jesus Christ in your life? If you did, there was rejoicing by the angels in heaven over you. You say, I'm not worth it. Yes, you are. Amen? I want you to know that you are not alone. And the truth is, if you have questions, if you need help, you can ask myself, you can call me, you can talk to our leaders in the church, you can talk to our elders, you can talk to our deacons. If you have questions, please let us know. You are not in this alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what has been revealed to the Apostle John and to us. Lord, that what we endure in this world will not be forever but only until an appointed time. So Lord, until that time, keep us close to Your Spirit, help us to be, to be obedient to Your mission, and help us to be expectant for Your return. Lord, I pray over those who are here or listening online this morning. Lord, I pray that You would bless them. Lord, I pray that You would keep them. Lord, I pray that You would cause Your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that You would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Remember, Wednesday at 6.30 is going to be Wednesday night classes. Be there or be square. Amen? Amen. God